Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Love is more than an emotional response. Love is more than a feeling. How often have you been in a situation where you didn't feel like doing something for someone that you loved, but you did it anyway? Love is more than a feeling. Love wakes up every two hours to nurse. Love goes to the nursing home every day just to be, everything is okay, to be sure. Love buys those expensive new sneakers for her son when she hadn't had a new pair of shoes in 20 years. Love gives him another chance even though he knows he blew it. Love volunteers for a second or third or fourth tour in harm's way. Love says, I will live on less and give God the rest. Love will work three jobs so that her children might have a better life than she had. Love will risk getting hurt again. Love listens and lets the silence speak. Love gave up his life for his friends. Love indeed is more than a feeling or an emotional response. Love is the center of who we are. Love is also what we do. Jesus himself loved his disciples with agape love, unconditional love, undeserved love, and expected that they would express the same kind of love as they carried out the mission and ministry that he had charged them with. The visible manifestation of this love would be keeping his commands to live out what we believe. And keeping his commands is a whole lot more than a checklist. It's a whole lot more than going back to the Ten Commandments and just making sure, okay, I got that one, got that one, got that one. Or all of the rules and regulations that the religious leaders gave to supplement the Ten Commandments back in the Old Testament When Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands, it's really embracing and embodying the way that Jesus lived on earth and doing that every day. But it's not easy. And Jesus knew that. So he, in his farewell discourse to his disciples the night before he died, 
he addressed them and he told them that he was giving them a helper who would guide them along life's journey. He was preparing them for a future, a future without his physical presence. One writer describes it this way. Because Jesus was about to depart from the world, he knew it was absolutely essential that the disciples learn how to rely entirely on the Holy Spirit of God and to follow the Spirit's leadership. Therefore, Jesus used his last moments on earth to teach the disciples how to follow the Holy Spirit's leadership in the same way they had followed him. And the writer goes on. This new leader, the Holy Spirit of God, would be a leader they couldn't see, couldn't touch, couldn't audibly hear, yet they were supposed to follow him in just the same way they had followed Jesus. So Jesus' goal was to dispel all the fear and insecurity that the disciples might have felt about following this Holy Spirit's leadership. And Jesus used some very careful words the last night that he was alive to teach his closest followers. I want to point out a few things in the passage that help us as we seek to make some application for life today. If you go back to verse 15, where Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. On the first reading of that, we see that it's a condition. Often in scripture, when we see the words, if you do something, there's a condition that follows. If you do this, Jesus might say, well, then I will do that. And his action is contingent upon our following through or our meeting the condition. But in this case, the giving of the Holy Spirit was not a condition on whether they would follow his commands. Listen as I try to articulate this. If you follow me, keep my commands. The Greek New Testament here is nuanced in such a way that the verb read like this. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Guys, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And to help you, I'm going to send you a guide. I'm going to send you a comforter, an advocate. He's saying that as they carry out the love that he has shared with them, keeping his commands will naturally follow. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And then I'm going to help you. I'm going to be present, but in a new way. This implies that there is a distinct expectation that the condition will be realized. The commands of Jesus were quite likely to be fulfilled. Jesus is expressing his confidence in his closest followers. If you love me, guys, you'll obey my commands. I have confidence in you. And then Jesus says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, another helper, another guide. See, God had already given them the first one. That's Jesus himself. But then he says, guys, I'm going to ask the Father to send you a helper, another helper. And the word another here is the Greek word alas. And it means another of the same kind. Not another of a different kind. That's a totally different word. But here, the word alas is another of the same kind. For example, 
in front of many of you in the pew, there's a hymnal and there's a Bible. They're both books. But you have a Bible in one hand and a hymnal in the other hand. It's another of a different kind. It's not the same. But if you picked up two Bibles, you would have another of the same kind. Are we together? Jesus is saying, I am going to send you a helper, another helper of the same kind. This helps us to understand the doctrine of the Trinity. The Father and Jesus are one, as he says, they are one and the same. And then Jesus is saying, I and the Spirit are the same. There is no differentiation in essence at all whatsoever of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God revealed himself in different ways throughout the course of biblical history. And Jesus is saying, you will have another helper. I've been your advocate in person, your guide in person, your comforter in person. And we also know Jesus as the good shepherd in other ways. And then he says, I will not longer be with you in person. I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to be resurrected and I'm going to go be with the Father. But I will send you another helper and that helper is going to be the same exact kind as me. You just won't be able to see him or you won't be able to touch or hear him audibly. And that's why Jesus is giving them some help to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I hope you see what the text is doing here. You remember when Philip, the other disciple in our last week's text, had some questions to Jesus. And then he says, show us the Father, Jesus, show us his Father. And then Jesus said, Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is making the exact same case for the Holy Spirit in our text today. Sometimes Christians today, we will say, we just wish we had the same power that they had back in the early church. We wish that what we read from there could be here today. And I I share the good news that we have that same power. We have the same Holy Spirit that the disciples were given then. We don't have to look back 2,000 years ago and say we just wish we had that authority and power as his church. We have it today if we would just listen. And if the Holy Spirit would guide us and we just follow and obey the commands of Jesus, the world would certainly be a better place. That's our charge. That's our call. We have the fullness of the Spirit today. So if you're taking notes, the key word is helper. Jesus promised that he would send a helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit, also translated advocate. Thinking of the courtroom, an advocate, a helper, a comforter, a guide. And in verse 17, that guide is the spirit of truth. That the Holy Spirit will not lead us in any other way but the truth of God, that which is right and just and the ways of God, representing the fullness of truth. And Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, meaning I will not leave you alone. You will not be all by yourself. The Spirit will be with you. And then verse 19, he promises that they would see him again, speaking of the resurrection that was just to come soon, giving them that additional promise. And then in verse 21, he kind of wraps this statement that he made to his disciples. Whoever has my commands and keeps them loves me restating what he had said in verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. For us today, in this very difficult world with all kinds of problems that Christians are not immune to, 
How does the Holy Spirit live our faith? How does that work? The good thing is Jesus gave us some understanding of how the Holy Spirit worked in chapter 14 and then in chapter 16. So if you'd like to follow along and take some notes for your own personal devotion and your walk with God, please do that. The first way is that the Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us of Jesus' commands. Verse 26 of chapter 14. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything. The Holy Spirit teaches us and the Holy Spirit reminds us of the commands of Jesus. And then you might say, well, Pastor Bob, what are the commands of Jesus? I mean, we have the Ten Commandments and we have some other things that Jesus said. What are the commands of Jesus? What is he talking about here? You know, I think a really neat Bible study would be to do a Bible study on the commands of Jesus. And I imagine if you did that kind of a Bible study, you'd have to study all of the Gospels. Jesus said, love one another. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Jesus said, repent. Jesus said, believe that Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Jesus said, pray always. Jesus said, fear not. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that we're supposed to forgive other people. Jesus said a lot about God's commands. Jesus said that we are to give. He said that we are to fast. He said that we are to pray, as we prayed earlier in today's worship service. Jesus gave the golden rule. Jesus said a lot of things in the New Testament. One writer says it like this. Jesus' commands are very clear. They are everything he said and everything he did. So I suppose if you did that Bible study, it would just be on the whole life of Jesus and everything that he said, right? But could we say that loving Christ is imitating him, seeking to live out his commands? The Holy Spirit is very active as well and convicts people of sin so that you and I have that gut feeling as Christians when we know we're about to make a bad decision. In chapter 16, verse 8, we see the the start of some of the ways that the Holy Spirit acts in our lives. And Jesus said, when he comes, meaning the advocate, the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Have you ever been in a situation where you knew, you had this gut feeling that you were getting ready to make a terrible decision? Have you ever been looking at your computer, maybe you were alone, and you were about to click on that site? Have you ever been in an environment and perhaps you know that if you take that one sip that it's going to take you the wrong direction and you somehow had that gut feeling that said, don't drink it? Have you ever been at a conference and you are alone and perhaps you could do anything you want and you see there's this opportunity and then the Holy Spirit just says, don't go there. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. The Holy Spirit is able to work through our conscience to be that inner gut voice 
that says, don't go there, don't make that decision, stay true to God, stay true to yourself, stay true to your family and who, do you, who you are. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying that work of conviction. And then we know that the Holy Spirit will never guide us in the wrong way. The Holy Spirit guides in all truth. So we see in chapter 16, verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Guiding us in the right way. God will never lead us to do something that is contrary to what the Scripture says. We can be confident of that. And then the, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And verse 13, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit will only speak that which is instructed by God. I love Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God class. Some of you have taken that. And Blackaby helps us to see that the Holy Spirit speaks to us in four primary ways. Through the Bible. As we read the Bible, often there will be a verse or a section of Scripture that just jumps off of the page and you keep coming back to that. And God is speaking in that way. Or that the Holy Spirit speaks through your prayer time especially if you're journaling, and you can begin to write those thoughts down. I always say, and I always make this a practice, when I read the Bible, I always have something to write on, or even if it's an electronic device that you can uh, type into your thoughts. Uh, that way, when you sense that God is speaking, you can record that and refer back to it. He also, the Spirit does, speaks through our circumstances, through things that are happening in our life, and also through the body of the church. It might be a small group, or it may be a class, or a teacher, or it could be something that the congregation is doing, or it could be in a worship experience. But through the Bible, and through prayer, and through our circumstances, and through the church, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we can hear the voice of God. And you know, it's easy to get prideful. It's easy when things go well or when we do something, even in church, to kind of bask in that moment. And in this last point, we see that the Holy Spirit does not want that to happen, but rather the Holy Spirit always gives glory to God. The Holy Spirit always points back to the Father. In verse 16, chapter 16, verse 14, He, the Spirit, will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. We're always seeking to point back to the Father. Always seeking to give Christ the glory for whatever he is doing in us. So whether it's in school, whether it's in your college decision, whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your marriage, your parenting, your vocation, the Holy Spirit will always guide us to give God the glory. Aren't you glad that love is more than a feeling? Aren't you glad that love is more than an emotional response? What if Jesus just didn't feel like going to the cross that day? And I know he didn't. But what if he followed, what if he allowed his feelings or his emotional response to dictate the decision that he would make? What kind of God would that have been? 
a God that is based on, that makes decisions based on feelings. I am thankful that we had a God who is pure love. God is love. Love is more than a feeling. Love is. Love does. And we know that love wins. Mother Teresa said this, I try to give to the poor people for love what the rich could get for money. And then she says, no, I wouldn't touch a leper for a thousand pounds, meaning monetary, yet I willingly cure him for the love of God. Paul wrote, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but if, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I am nothing. I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And Paul writes, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray.